You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Liberty Family Church. For more information about our church, head to the website, libertyfamilychurch.net.au. We've been going on a bit of a journey together through God's story. And last week, who was here last week? Or who listened to the message last week? So Peter shared around how God delivered his people, the, the people of Israel, from slavery in Egypt. And he led them across the seas and into the wilderness. And what do we see? We saw what we've seen all the way through so far. Yet again, God is the hero. Man, mankind is not the hero. God is the hero. He's the one who delivers his people from evil. He is, as Peter shared last week, he is God Almighty, mighty to save. And so today we're going to continue on where Peter left off in the book of Exodus and discover what it is that God actually delivered his people for. Yeah? So let's pray as we open God's word together this morning. Lord Jesus, we just love you. We are in awe of you. We are so grateful for your... What your work on the cross, God, we are, as we look back, we are in awe. And even as we look now, God, and see how you're at work in our lives, continuing to draw people to yourself, continuing to do things that are not possible in the natural because you're a supernatural, almighty God, we continue to be in awe of you. And so, God, today, as we open your word, as we continue on in Exodus, we pray, Lord, that you would bring this word alive to our hearts, that you would move in our hearts so that our hearts would go against the natural inclination to kind of look to ourselves, but that our eyes and our hearts and our whole beings would be focused and fixed yet again on just how good you are. So, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would speak the words that each of us need to hear through me as I share, and that you may get all the glory and you alone. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So God, this is, this is a different one, I think. It feels weird on me. That's all right. God delivered the Israelites for covenant. God delivered the Israelites for covenant. And God delivers us or anyone who would choose to place their faith in Jesus Christ for covenant too. Now, this word covenant is not one that we hear too often in today's day and age, do we? No, it's probably only a word that in our circles at least, if we're here today and we're Christian, that we might hear at a Christian wedding. Has anyone heard that before at a Christian wedding? You might have, I've, I've led people in making these kind of promises to one another as they, as they give and receive their ring, something like this. With this ring, I wed you now. With this ring, I wed you now. You guys will be going through this soon. With this token, I keep covenant with you. With all that I have and all that I am, I honour you through the love of God and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Covenant. Okay, but what even is a covenant? On, at, a, at a very, very basic level, a covenant is simply a binding agreement between two parties. That's, that's a very simple definition. Uh, Thomas Schreiner, who's a New Testament theologian, he he defines covenant as being a chosen relationship in which two parties make binding promises to each other. And this is really what a covenant is at, at its core. It's re a relationship between two people who make deep 
and binding promises to one another. Hence why, in years ago, you'd talk about a marriage covenant, because that's what marriage is at its core, isn't it? Whitney Woolard, a writer for the Bible Project, she, she kind of expands on this thought, and this is what she says. She says, A covenant is a chosen relationship or partnership in which two parties make binding promises to each other and work together toward a common goal. They're often accompanied by oaths, signs, ceremonies. Covenants contain defined obligations and commitment, but differ from a contract in that they are relational and personal. Think of a marriage. In love, a husband and wife choose to enter into a formal relationship, binding themselves to one another in lifelong faithfulness and devotion. They then work as partners to reach a common goal, like building a career or raising children together. That's a covenant. And that is, that's a covenant. A chosen relationship where two parties make binding promises to each other and agree to work together towards a common goal. And when we think about God, this makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Think about his desire for relationship with us, with all people. You've probably heard me say this too many times before, and I say it a lot, but I say it because it's true. Our God is a relational God who desires intimate relationship with each and every one of us. It's, it's like at the core of his very being. That is a core desire of God. You know, there's nothing that God wants more than to enjoy relationship with us, but not a one-way relationship, a two-way relationship where we in turn enjoy relationship with him. God is driven and he always has been since the very time that he started that created the world and created us, which God says we are actually the pinnacle of his creation. Let that one sink into our hearts, yeah? You are the pinnacle of his creation. God always has been this deep desire to have and enjoy relationship, intimate relationship with us. We were, you were, created for covenant relationship with God. Now, to get our tourist hats on again, you might remember us commenting a while back in the series. You know when you go to a new place, you, you make sure that you're not coming with your ideas of what everything means? You know what I'm saying? You don't go over to Asia and put on our Westerner hats and try and make sense of everything. You try and get in the area you're in to better understand what's going on. Well, while this kind of language of covenant is pretty foreign to our ears, this concept was not at all foreign in biblical times. It was actually commonplace to enter into covenants of all sorts, whether they be personal, legal, and political, for example. So you might think of it in, in that day, it's, there's similarities, I guess, with the kinds of contracts that we might enter into today, like for a home loan or for a credit card or any other sort of formalized agreements these kind of things where, well, it's not very personal kind of thing, is it? But, it? but one party makes promises to the other party and normally the party with more power lords it over the other party, don't they? You know, like, yeah, as long as you make your payments, we will keep servicing your loan. But if you default, you'll be paying more and we'll take your house and everything you own too. But these kind of things were commonplace in biblical times, covenantal um, agreements. And so what we're seeing here is our God, the master of reaching people. He uses something that was commonplace, covenants, 
to actually reveal himself to and to seek deep, intimate relationship through with people. Um, As Whitney Woolard says, she says, covenanting was part and parcel of what it meant to even live in the ancient Near East. It makes sense then that a merciful God would reach out to humans to reveal himself and bring about reconciliation through a structure they already understood. That's a pretty strategic God, isn't it? Using something commonly understood by the people he's actually trying to reach to actually reach them. Contextualization there. You know, throughout Scripture, we see covenant after covenant being made. Today, if we're followers of Jesus, if we've, if we've come to Jesus and we've placed our faith in Jesus Christ, we're under what covenant? Anyone want to yell out? The new covenant. That's right. We are living free through the blood of Jesus Christ, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for our sins under the new covenant. It's really important to understand the, the, the weight of the new covenant that we better get an appreciation, like we're doing this year, of going through God's story and seeing the different covenants and what God had actually designed them to do. So there are some real key ones that kind of form the foundation for God's story for his plan of redemption and even explain how God desires to interact and have relationship with us. So let's just take a quick look at a few of these now. So if we go all the way back, Genesis, Genesis 1, Genesis 2, while that word covenant isn't explicitly used in the text, many scholars suggest that that was the very first covenant made between God and mankind all the way back in those first few chapters. Why? Why would they say that if it doesn't actually say that in the original text? Because the elements of a covenant were in existence. Yeah, The core essential elements. There's relationship between two parties, between God and mankind. There's, there's boundaries. There's terms of that relationship that God shares with people and promises made by God. He explains what's going to happen if people follow him and obey him i.e. the blessing that will come. And he also explains what's going to happen if they disobey, that there'll be a curse. It won't go well for man. Do you see that? So a covenant was in existence all the way back in Genesis, back in the Garden of Eden. And then in our journey, we kind of fast-tracked over Noah a little bit, but God makes a formal agreement with Noah, known as, funnily enough, the Noahic Covenant. And... In many ways, this is a covenant, if you, if you look at from Genesis and work through those chapters yourself to come up to Noah, you see that this is a covenant that God is introducing to win back what was lost, yeah? To restore what was lost, that kind of covenantal, intimate, deep relationship that God had with mankind in the garden before they chose to sin. And so here, God pursues a formal relationship with Noah And he promises to never again destroy humanity. And in an act of grace and mercy, if anyone says there's no grace in the Old Testament, you can say, well, here's at least one example. There's there's plenty, don't you worry. But God actually didn't stipulate any conditions on the covenant. You know, he just said, I promise that this is what I will do. And he gave the sign of a rainbow as proof of his promise. And then we tuned in a little bit to Abraham and his faith, And God, again, chose to enter into partnership, into a covenantal relationship with Abraham. God reveals himself to Abraham, 
promises him a big family, a new land to care for and live in, and a grand purpose to actually be, to head up this family who God says will actually bring blessing to the entire world. And this is known as the Abrahamic covenant. And you can check that out in Genesis 12, 15, 17, if you want to have a look. Um, and this time around, the covenant did have certain conditions that God expected people would keep. Following God, keeping his ways, and also male circumcision. That was a term of the covenant. And you might sometimes think, well, what's with the circumcision? Pretty simply, it was a physical sign that these people were set apart, that they belonged to Yahweh. And... Um, one theologian actually says that it's also a symbol that declares that their, their fertility and their future actually lay in God's hands. Interesting. Now, that's a very quick summary of covenant so far, but here's where covenant now comes into the Exodus story. So after delivering his people from slavery in Egypt, God seeks to, yet again, yet again, he seeks to establish intimate relationships with the nation of Israel, and sets out to make a covenant with his people, what we now would call the Mosaic Covenant. Let's just set the scene for a minute for this covenant. You can read about this in Exodus 15 to 19. We're not going to do that today, but you can check it out. So God has just supernaturally delivered his people from slavery in Egypt. God's people are happy. They're, they're, They're ready to praise him. They're singing songs. They're dancing about. They're saying, this is good. We're so glad to be out of Egypt. We didn't like that Pharaoh guy. You've saved us. This is really good. Until they change their tune and they start to moan and groan. And you can read Exodus 15 to 17 and you can see all the ways that this goes down. They change their tune very quickly. First, they complain about water. Eh, don't like this water. Then food. Then water again. Pretty well, like if you have young children, you would know they're pretty well acting like a bunch of hangry four-year-olds, really, who don't know what they want. I don't like it. I want to go home. I'm so hungry, I'm going to die. Can't I just go and pick up bread each day? I don't want to have to do that. Can't I just keep some in my tent? Like this is, this is what they sound like. Man, seriously, God is a God of grace because I think if I was God, I wouldn't have been so patient with them. But How does God respond? Each and every time God graciously looks past their grumbling, looks past their moaning, doesn't give them what they actually deserve and shows them again and again that he is the Lord their God, Jehovah Jireh, their provider. And as I shared a few weeks ago, despite our best efforts to stuff things up, because who knows, we're pretty good at stuffing things up. Yep. God is always actively working behind the scenes to bless people and to fulfill what he says he wants to do, to bless and redeem mankind. He just doesn't stop. God's like, has anyone ever seen Colin Buchanan in concert? We did yesterday. If you've seen him, you would know he's like an ever-ready bunny. He's like, he just doesn't stop. And he does that for 45 minutes. And he's just like, He's kind of like Bluey, if anyone watches Bluey and the parents in that, they're like perfect parents, they just never stop, boundless energy. He does that for 45 minutes, but God does that for all generations and for all eternity. God just never stops. 
He is like the ultimate ever-ready powered. He doesn't even need batteries. He's that powerful, you know? Like, God just doesn't stop. God is a God who is passionate about redemption and relationship and will see his plans through no matter what. Even when, even when we, you and I, choose to disobey him and go our own way. We see this in scripture. We see this here. And so in Exodus chapter 19, verse 3 to 6, we hear God share his heart for covenant once again, and this time with Moses. So Moses climbs the mountain. If you've, if you've read Exodus lately, you'll remember that the Israelites are at the, the base of this mountain. God is up in the mountain, again, showing the separation between mankind and God because of sin. And so Moses, as a representative He goes to meet with God, and there on the mountain, God shares his heart for covenant with Israel. Reading from verse 3, God says, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. And you see, there is God's heart right there. God reiterates and he expands on the promises that he's made before to his people, that he's made before to the nation of Israel, and now he's looking to Moses to lead and encourage his people in following and trusting and keeping covenant with him. Yeah? And did, did you notice the conditional nature of what God says here? There's that if. If you live as my people, I'll bring about these things for you. You know, God does the heavy lifting and he's promising here, hey, if you do this, I'll do the heavy lifting for you. I'll, I'll be the hero. I'll be your hero. I'm the hero of the story. I will bring about these things for you and all you need to do is trust me and follow my ways. Yeah? So there's a lot of covenant language there. Obedience to God and his ways will result in blessing, ultimately, and disobedience to God and his ways will result in cursing. And so God says that if they obey him and keep covenant with him, they will become a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And sometimes we kind of hear those things and go, well, what's a kingdom of priests, a holy nation? Probably the easiest way to describe it would be to say that that God's actually going to make them and shape them to be his representatives, to be people in the world who will show other nations in the world what Yahweh truly is like, what God is truly like. And now that is a pretty good offer on the table right there, isn't it? Like, if you'd, if you'd heard those words, what do you reckon your response would be? I think it would probably be the same way that the nation of Israel respond. Moses shares the good news with the people, and what do they say? They say, woohoo, yeah, let's do it, we're in. Exodus 19.8, all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. We're in, we like the sound of that, we'll do what you say, God. And so... Some of us know how the story goes, but we'll keep working through it. After some pretty remarkable moments where 
where God actually presences himself with his people. And just picture this, right? You're at the foot of a mountain and you're looking up to this mountain where God is presencing himself like this. In thick cloud, thunder, lightning, a very loud trumpet blast, and even fire. Like, that's pretty mind-blowing, isn't it? Exodus chapter 19, you can check it out. It's pretty well this, this amazing sound and light show that God's using to show himself to his people. Hey guys, I'm here. <laughs> you know, like, look at me. I am here. I am awesome. I am powerful. I am glorious. And yet, I want to know you. Like, look at me. I am marvelous, but I want to know you. This is God on display. It's, it's amazing stuff. And so, this is all going on, and God invites Moses to go up the mountain and to share the terms of the covenant he's seeking to make with Israel. And so God shares with Moses what are commonly referred to as the Ten Commandments, along with a bunch of other ones too. I'm wondering today, how, how have you traditionally approached the Ten Commandments? Or maybe how have you traditionally understood the Ten Commandments? Chat with anyone in society today, preferably a non-Christian person, and you're bound to get some different points of views on the Ten Commandments. They're viewed very differently by different people. Some years ago, a well-known and controversial figure in a Melbourne church put out some, some interesting signage, is what you would say, about the Ten Commandments. This man was, at the time, promoting with a $120,000 promotion budget. He was promoting his New Faith Movement, it was called. And these signs were displayed all over the city of Melbourne. And here's, here's the sign, apologies for the resolution, but here is actually the sign that they put out. The Ten Commandments, the most negative document ever written. Now, that's a pretty interesting viewpoint for a minister and a church to promote, isn't it? Now, here's the thing. This minister, and I use that not lightly, he wasn't a minister of the gospel. Through his new faith and religious syncretism, taking bits of different religions and melding them all together and that sort of thing, he was actually ministering another gospel altogether. And this was only one of many dangerous and outright false statements that this guy made over his decades of ministry. I mean, just listen to this. This, this is a genuine quote from this guy. He referred to Jesus as, quote, a Jewish peasant who most certainly was not God. I mean, come on. I don't, I don't even need to say it. By making statements like this, this minister regularly outed himself as a false teacher and even in his particular denomination, which isn't necessarily known for um, our more traditional alignment with biblical views and the upholding the, the word of God and that sort of thing, he even got himself into a fair bit of trouble in his quite progressive denomination and, yes, caused a bit of a stir. Now, you might be thinking, well, why are you actually sharing this with me this morning? I'm sharing it simply to illustrate that so often when it comes to the Ten Commandments, we just simply get it wrong. We just get it wrong. We often get it wrong too. 
We might not necessarily put it in this particular way that this minister did, but we can often misunderstand and even miss the very heart of God within, implicit within the Ten Commandments. This is quite cheeky, but a church directly over the road from this particular church that was doing this big media campaign, you know, they had a bit of a billboard wall. Have you ever seen that happen before? Well, they, they chose, as soon as this big promotion went up on their billboard over the road and all throughout Melbourne, they chose, all right, how do we tackle this? So they thought, well, why don't we put up a more conservative, a more biblical view of the Ten Commandments? And so they put this up on their billboard. The Ten Commandments, the most positive and influential document ever written. It's very confusing for passing buyers, but it's very cheeky, and I think it was probably a, a very tactful way of, of promoting a different point of view. Hey, not all churches actually think this. Maybe you should have a deeper think for yourself. Because that's exactly right, isn't it? The Ten Commandments and all the other commandments that God shared with Moses in Exodus chapter 20 to 24 are positive and are really good news for people. Why are they positive? Why are they good news for people, for the nation of Israel and for anyone who would choose to follow Jesus today? Well, simply because these are gifts from God that are designed to shape the nation of Israel then and any of us who would choose to follow Jesus today into something truly beautiful, into something different and otherworldly than this world in which we live. As Tim Mackey from the Bible Project explains, he says the Ten Commandments were designed by God to shape Israel into a nation of justice and generosity that's different from the other nations. You know, when God gave Israel the Ten Commandments, he gave them to them for their good so that they'd grow as his group of people who were completely different, radically different, from the world around them, people who were set apart, people who were living radically different lives than those of all other nations residing around them. And these commandments would actually guide his people in how to best live life and would, would in turn actually demonstrate, practically show people what the kind of God he actually was. And as we said before, like with all the covenants, the commandments, if followed, would actually lead to blessing for his people, and that's why they were good news. And they still remain good news for us as modern-day followers of God today. You know, we can check them out in Exodus 20, but here they are up in short form for today. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make idols. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honour your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear fault witness against your neighbour. You shall not covet. Now, I'm, under, I'm not delusional. I know how many of these are viewed in our society today. They're not values that are necessarily upheld. Not all of them are super popular in our post-Christian world today, but that does not mean that they do not remain to be true. Yeah? Who knows that? Just because something isn't popular doesn't necessarily mean that it's not true and actually good 
for us. Following all of these commandments, having our hearts and our conduct governed and shaped by these commandments, obviously through the power and the work of the Holy Spirit, I'm not talking about trying hard to do these things. I'm talking about having a a radical encounter with the Holy Spirit. And as we meet with God, he brings these things alive in our hearts so that we long to be reflective of him and we will be reflective of him as these things are outworked in our lives. You know what I'm saying? And when we are shaped, naturally, this leads to blessing for us, but not only blessing for us, blessing for this world that God's calling us to reach out to in love and extending his love to others. This is a spiritual reality. It's a sure thing. Like, just, just think about it. If we have that list up again, you know, when we have God on the throne of our hearts, we actually enjoy freedom in right relationship with him. That's number one. We have no other gods but him. Two, when we refuse to hold anything as, as more precious or more dear to us than Jesus... That's what an idol is, just something that's more precious and dear to us than Jesus. When we, when we refuse to do that, we actually experience this beautiful, deep peace and abiding joy because Jesus is our ultimate treasure and we've got it. We've got him. Yeah? Three, when we honor the name of Jesus, we're actually blessed with his friendship and his deep abiding presence in our very lives. When we choose to set boundaries in life, when we choose to set boundaries in life and we keep a Sabbath, whether it's a Sunday or some other day during the week, and when we actually rest, we will find and experience that deep soul-satisfying rest that Jesus promises to all those who are weary and heavy laden, all those who would come to him. And then we're empowered through that rest to then live out a purposeful week in the rest of our weeks with energy. Five, when we seek to honour our parents, we enjoy the benefits and the freedom that comes from having hearts to bless and not curse other people, yeah? Number six, when we don't murder, we stay out of jail. No, no, seriously, when we don't murder or hate others, because what did Jesus say? If you hate someone in your heart, we live our lives truly free, don't we? Truly free. We're free. We can joyfully, we can wholeheartedly bless and cheer other people on in life, living free from that dangerous and, well, it's, it's deadly, the kind of comparison trap and bitterness and jealousy. And when we remain faithful in our marriage relationship, number seven, we reap the reward of covenantal intimacy, ever-deepening friendship with our treasured husband or wife. Eight, when we don't steal, we stay out of jail again. But when we don't steal, what are we doing? We are actually walking in integrity. We're walking in integrity. We're living honest, hardworking lives and have the flow-on effect from that is that we have clear consciences, don't we? We we experience genuine contentment, peace, as we enjoy and honour God with how we're living life. Number nine, when we speak the truth and and honour our neighbour, we maintain our integrity and do everything that we possibly can to maintain healthy relationships with God and with others. And 10, when we refuse to covet and lust after all that other people have, because that's what covetousness is, really, just wanting what other people's got, whether it's their husband or wife or car or super balance or whatever. 
we're actively choosing to develop genuine hearts of gratitude to God. We find ourselves increasingly satisfied with the very things that God has actually blessed us with. And we find ourselves having that beautiful, thankful heart to God as we marvel at how generous he's actually been to us. Now, I'm sure you're getting the picture in all of this. These Ten Commandments were beautiful gifts from God to his people because they were designed to shape his people into the kind of people that actually reflect him and then uh, will be effective in offering something different to the nations all around that have very different priorities, very different ways. And I'm sure you can appreciate that in today's day and age, in our society today, which promotes a whole lot of different things, can have a similar effect as Holy Spirit works in our lives as well and creates that kind of character and identity in us. The terms of the covenant were given for the good of God's people and they're good news for us too. Arnold and Bayer um, are some Old Testament theologians and they, they expand on this really well. And I want to share this now. This is what they write. They say the Ten Commandments and the other commands of chapters 21 to 23 were a natural part of the relationship between God and the Israelites. The terms of the covenant were a result of God's grace and love for his people. He issued his laws for the nation after he had redeemed them and established his bond of intimate relationship with them. The law served as a seal on that relationship. Throughout the Old Testament, law is a positive expression of God's will for his people. You know, that is why these commandments were good news for God's people. They were, and they continue to be, expressions of God's grace, expressions of God's love for his people, the very terms through which blessing and relationship come when they're followed. And I don't know about you, but I, for one, praise God that we now, we're not living under this covenant, we're living under the new covenant where we have, through faith in Jesus Christ, God's own spirit who helps us to, in, in, in every way, transforming our hearts daily as we repent, as we come back to God, restoring us to right relationship with God in just at that moment as we seek forgiveness and then outworking all of God's character in our lives as we let him have his way in our hearts. Isn't that fantastic? Now, you only need to read on in Exodus to see that the nation of Israel, while they were initially receptive, while they were initially like, yep, this is what we want, we're all in, we'll do whatever it takes, God, we're going to follow you no matter what, they rebelled, they sinned, and they actually fashioned, this is remarkable, isn't it, if you think about this, God's up here on the mountain showing himself in a range of different miraculous ways Moses gets go, is gone for too long. They get a bit bored. And then all of a sudden they go, let's make ourselves an idol. Seems like a logical thing to do. And they, instead of looking to this God that still is present in himself, showing his glory, how, look, I'm here, guys, and I love you, and we're working out how we can come close again through covenant, they choose to worship an idol, a handmade, man-created thing, for delivering them out of Egypt instead of Yahweh alone. It's, it's tragic, really, isn't it? The sin of mankind, once again, in God's story. It's yet another 
Another one of these. It's looking good and now it's not again. Appears to have destroyed God's plan to dwell closely with his people once again. And here's the thing with God. If, if this hasn't encouraged you in, if you've had troubles in the past with seeing the heart of God in the Old Testament and trying to reconcile what some people have sort of said is like, oh, I like this God of the New Testament and I struggle with this God of the Old Testament. I, I really, I'm praying that, that you're starting to see a bit of the, there's, there's, no, there's no discrepancies between the two. Different expressions, different, different things, but you know, the heart of God is clear in the Old Testament when you actually take the time to see it. Because you see, God is deeply offended by sin, isn't he? Like sin is super offensive to a holy God. And we'll, we'll take a bit of a deeper dive into that next week. And God's rightly angry with his people for disobeying and rebelling against him. But what happens? He is moved by Moses' intercession. Moses comes to him and says, oh, hang, on, hang on a minute, God. You're the God who said this. If, if you go ahead and do what you're now feeling like doing, which, by the way, you're probably in your right, you, you could do that if you want. But if you do that, how is your, are your plans going to, you're the God of covenant. You're the God who makes these promises. They will come to pass. How will they come to pass if you just wipe us all away? And when, when God is moved by Moses' words, reminding him of those promises, what does he do? Yet again, he relents and forgives his people for their sin. But here's something, and this is one of the key passages in the entire Old Testament on God's own heart. This is, this is, like, this is something to stick on your fridge if you've ever struggled with the God of the Old Testament because this is God, this is who he says that he is. He, he reveals to Moses his true character and he restores the covenant again with Israel. And it's in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6 to 7. And it says, The Lord passed before him, being Moses, and proclaimed, this is God describing himself, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generations. Now hear this today, particularly the first part of it, not the second, because God had a plan for that as well, about dealing with the iniquity. But that first part, God's heart, that is actually his heart for you. That's God's heart for us. This is God's heart for you right now, today. Sometimes we forget this, but Scripture says that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yeah? He doesn't change. We change in like a moment. When the Geelong cats start losing, my personality changes. <laughs> But God never changes, no matter what. He just continues on in being, as it says, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This is the kind of God he is. This is his heart. It was his heart then. It continued to be his heart. And it is his heart today. And it always will be his heart forevermore until the very ends of the age and even beyond that because it's who he is. This is his heart now in this 
life, and this will be his heart for all eternity into the next as well. And here's the excellent thing in all of this. This is his heart, but he is a God who desires relationship, and because he does, this is his heart for you. This is his heart for you. This is, this is the God that we are invited to experience and enjoy relationship with. So I want to ask you this morning, is this your experience of God today? Is this your experience? Do you know God as merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness? A God who actually longs and desires passionately to forgive us for our sins and raise us up again to live victoriously through the Holy Spirit's power in relationship with Jesus. Do you know, is that your experience today? Now, our God is a God who delivered Israel for covenant, but he delivers us for covenant too. Yeah? There's nothing God wants more than to enjoy intimate relationship with you, but the flip side, for you to enjoy that intimate covenantal relationship with him too. And, and this is the greatest, most beautiful thing, isn't it? He not only has that desire, he doesn't only invite us to embrace that, but he makes the way possible for us to embrace that through his son, Jesus Christ. Is that your experience of God today? I just want to take a moment, maybe, maybe for you, you, even as I've been saying this, you're like, well, yeah, he is, he is those things. He is merciful and gracious. I've known that before. But, but man, Joel, my, my, my sin and just all this brokenness and I just feel weighed down with it and how can he possibly still be that way toward me? I just feel... I just feel burdened. I feel like there's some stuff that I've done, Joel, that if you knew, it would make your skin crawl. And if, if, if I feel that way, surely God would feel that way too. Surely that would keep me from him. Can I just encourage you today? God wants you to embrace the truth. And the truth is that if anyone comes to him, he will replace our heavy burdens with his yoke that is light and his easy and um, free us of those kind of things that would keep us from relationship with him. God has paid the price once and for all, for all our sins, past, present, and future, and he desires that we would be free, that we would be free to actually know and experience him in the fullness of relationship that is possible. So I just feel like God would, wants us to have an opportunity to pray for some people. I really believe that, you know, there's power in making a, a declaration, isn't there, and saying, you know what, that's me this morning. And whether, um, whether people want to come out or even just where you are in your seats, maybe we can just close our eyes and have a moment of prayer. You know, we... So often we, we look at things and even like the Ten Commandments and go, oh man, we've, I can't follow that and I can't follow this and I can't follow that. And, but 
God's heart is that anyone who would be willing to humble themselves before him and return like the prodigal return to God and says, you know what, God, I can't do this by myself. And God will say, yeah, I know you can't. The whole point is that you're to do this life in relationship with me. If, if you're struggling with the burden of and not really experiencing God as that merciful and forgiving and loving and long-suffering God that he actually is, I just want you to raise your hand right now and I'm going to pray for us all, but pray especially for you for a real move of God's spirit in your heart. If that's you, just raise your hand right now and pray. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you. Yes, Father God, we just thank you so much that you desire, you desire covenantal relationship with us, God. We thank you, Lord, for the blessing that we have of living in the new covenant where we are, where our, we are completely free. We've been declared righteous. Our sins have been forgiven once and for all simply because of Jesus. We've placed our faith in you, Jesus. We are righteous because of you, Jesus. We are able to, to boldly enter your, before your throne of grace, Lord, in prayer because of Jesus. And so, God, we pray right now. I pray right now, and I pray for all of us right now, God, where we would struggle at times or even for long seasons of really understanding your character, of, of feeling burdened, with different views of who you are and who we are in light of who you are, God, I pray that you would just break that, that you would break any lies, any holds of the enemy over our lives from diving deep into covenantal relationship with you. Because, Lord, we know that that kind of relationship, it takes vulnerability on, on your side, God. You are the most vulnerable one of all. But, God, on our part too, to actually go, you know what? I've read this. And I, I want to believe it, but then there's that step of actually letting go and going, all right, God, bring this to life for me. Make this true in my heart. But I pray that you would be doing that work today. God, that we would all know that we are righteous, that we are secure, that our, our value, our worth, and your love to us, your, your love to us is not conditional on anything we could do other than simply on the fact that we have chosen to place our faith in your Son. So God, would you do that work in our hearts? Would you encourage all of us to go deeper in relationship with you as led and empowered and encouraged and spurred on by your Holy Spirit? For your glory, Jesus. For, for our good too, I guess. But Lord, especially for the good of the world around us, that we might be like God intended Israel to be and intends us to be today, that kind of community that are in the world, but not of the world, with radically different priorities and ways than those of the people around them. And Lord, that as we live like that, as led by your Spirit, that people would be drawn to want to come near to you and to find saving faith through Jesus Christ. That's what we pray. We thank you, Jesus.
in your mighty name. Amen.